Good morning and welcome to this week's Over the Bar with myself, Sean Holland. So we're into our second week of the World Cup and the theme of shocks continues. We've lost some big names and some pre-tournament dark horses. Some notable teams that have gone home since are Germany, Belgium, Denmark, Mexico and Uruguay. All teams that have fancied themselves to go through in their respective groups. And in what was really a slow-burning World Cup, it really sparked into life during the week with late drama in all the group stages where we had South Korea go through based on having one goal scored more than Uruguay and their goal coming late on against Portugal in stoppage time. We had Poland and Mexico, which nearly came down to yellow cards to see who got through out of their group, Poland getting through in the end due to Saudi Arabia getting a late one against Mexico. And the Spanish team owed Germany a great favour for keeping them in the competition by defeating Costa Rica. The Germans, however, can't say the same about the Spanish as they lost out to Japan, which sent the four times champions home. So there's definitely a lot more drama to come now that we're into the round of 16. So that brings us nicely to continue on our iconic World Cup moments. And we are now on to moments number six and five. So, so far we've had number 10. Shabalala's goal for South Africa. Number nine, Roberto Baggio's penalty miss for Italy. Number eight, Robbie Keane's goal in Ibaraki for Ireland. And number seven, Dennis Burkamp's goal in the quarterfinal 1998 World Cup. So this brings us to moment six. And this moment may be fresh in the minds of many as they only played yesterday. So we go to the 2010 World Cup and Uruguay played Ghana in the quarterfinals. And Ghana were carrying the hopes of a continent on their back and were looking to become the first African team to make it through to the World Cup semi-finals. Uh, the game was going into the last minute of extra time and it was level. So it looked ominous that penalty kicks were on the cards. And Ghana had a free kick just outside the Uruguay penalty area. And nobody could have foretold what was about to take place in the next 30 seconds. John Panchill for Ghana with what in all likelihood will be the last kick of the match. Here we go. Barcheng's there. Keeper's lost it. Appiah's there. Blocked on the line. Blocked on the line again. Has it gone in? Flag goes up. And Ghana think they've got it. Ghana think they've scored. And the officials are going to have to step in here. Well, it's a red card. It's been blocked on the line. Does this mean Ghana have got a penalty with the last kick of the game? Oh, I do not believe it. What drama. It's Suarez on the line. The striker, look at that as he beats it away. Volleyball style. Suarez is off. What a moment for Asamoah Jan. What pressure on those shoulders. Suarez leaves the field in tears. Asamoah Jan for Ghana. Oh, and he's missed. Oh, I cannot believe it. And it was the last kick of the game. And Asamoah Jan cannot finish Uruguay off. So Suarez's handball stopped a certain goal and Jan's penalty miss sent the game to a shootout where Uruguay came out victorious and Suarez was hoisted onto the shoulders of his teammates, instantly becoming a villain in the eyes of Ghanaians everywhere. But it really was an iconic World Cup moment. Now onto moment number five. And we go to the 2014 World Cup and the German team had just completely embarrassed the host nation Brazil 7-1 in the semi-final. And they faced off against Lionel Messi's Argentina in the World Cup final. And with the game locked at nil all in the second half of extra time, it looked destined for penalty kicks. 
until the ball came to a man by the name of Mario Gotze. Still full of running, and it's Gotze! It's Mario Gotze! It's Super Mario! He might just have won the World Cup for Germany! A truly memorable goal by Gotze. He took the ball down over his chest, swung his left foot at it into the Argentinian goal, winning Germany its fourth ever World Cup and creating one of the most iconic World Cup moments in history. So we're down to our final four iconic World Cup moments and tune in the next couple of weeks to find out numbers four to one. You can also view back the moments on our Instagram page. That's at OTB West Cork FM. So give that a follow if you get a chance. So that brings us to today's guest and it is an Irish Olympic gold medalist. It is, of course, Fintan McCarthy. And myself and Fintan sat down during the week to discuss how he got into rowing, the behind-the-scenes action down in Skibbereen and Rowing Ireland, the moments in Tokyo, and his plans for the future. Now, I'm delighted to be joined by Skibbereen Rohr, two-time European champion, two-time world champion, and Olympic gold medalist Fintan McCarthy. Fintan, how are you doing? I'm good, Sean. Good. How are you? Very well, no thanks. And where uh, in the world are you joining us uh, at the moment? Um, we're just on training camp in Spain at the moment, down in Seville, so that's going well. Yeah, so can't can't really complain. Life's pretty good. Yeah, it is indeed. And uh, we, we spoke <coughs> off air there about the about the weather. It is um, obviously a small bit nicer out in Seville than it is down here in West Cork. Yeah, just a small bit, I'd say. <laughs> the smallest <laughs> bit. <laughs> Listen, Vinter, we get straight into it and we'll uh, speak about you growing up in Skib. And were you a sporty young fella uh, growing up? Not really now, to be honest. Um, I I kind of always say that my twin brother, Jake, he was, he was the one kind of going down, playing football, playing soccer and stuff. And um, I, I tried, I did try for a while, but um, nothing really came of it. I wasn't great. Um, well, I, I kind of try and tell myself now that I might have been good, but I just didn't give it enough of a chance because... Mm. Um, because Jake, you know, he was always a lot better than me and that, that kind of competitiveness then probably put me off. So I thought I was better in school, so I'd stick at that. But realistically, yeah, I probably wasn't great. <laughs> There's nothing all wrong with it. But um, when you were actually growing up, was rowing ever in the, you know, the, the mind? Or was it, you know, typical West Cork, it's GA, it's soccer, it's, you know, it, rugby, especially down in Skib. But did yeah. rowing ever cross your mind? Um, to be honest, no. Like when we were very, very young in in primary school, we we actually went down to the rowing club a few times with with the school. They kind of had a program going where you'd go was it once a week for a few weeks during the summer, maybe to kind of try it out. And I think after that, I probably did go down a few times, but it wasn't then until until halfway through sort of secondary school really that I just got going with it I kind of just didn't have anything you know I was coming to and from school like the only time I saw my friends outside was was um not doing anything great really just kind of hanging around so I yeah I did kind of get to that stage where I felt like I needed something so I just said look I'll I'll give it a go it's probably the one thing um that Jake hasn't tried and been better than me at Mm -hmm. so 
yeah, I, I kind of took it from there and, and didn't really look back. That, that you didn't. And was there any moment kind of you can almost pinpoint almost like a eureka moment where you, you either said to yourself or others said to you, Jesus, Fintan, you're actually good at this? Um, not one moment really, but I think, um, I think it just comes down to the club and the people in the club, you know, they're always very, uh, like encouraging. And I think it, it was the first time someone kind of, someone probably had been like, you're actually good at something. So I, that probably is what kind of kept me going at first. So like, I can't really remember a, a certain moment, but yeah I think just kind of the whole atmosphere down there and especially when it's like you know the senior lads kind of telling you like you keep keep at it you know you you could be good and and then the coaches get on board and it kind of just goes from there so I think that's more of it really than one um you know one one moment Mm -hmm. no I get you and when you start off um Fintan do you start off in the boat in a single seater a double or four um, generally you start kind of in the big, big heavy boats that are hard to sort of capsize and there's mm-hmm. four or five people. So you're generally pretty safe in those, but it was funny for me cause I actually went to Skull. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was kind of arriving a bit later than the other lads. So that meant that pretty early on I was getting out in the single, which is, uh, it's much more difficult to kind of it's much more difficult to row in, basically. You know, there's there's only one person. It's quite hard to balance. And I did end up falling in a lot. But I think that probably by accident was one of the things that got me better a lot quicker was because I had no other option because all the lads had, had gone out in the quad or in doubles already because they, they were only coming from skip. Um, that I'd be left. I'd be kind of left for the single. And... Um, that yeah, I I think that is probably one of the reasons why I was able to kind of get to grips with it a bit quicker. Mm-hmm. No, and get to grips with it, you did, and just um on the rowing itself, then is the kind of uh, river rowing more so than the coastal rowing. I know down in Cormac Shirley here we have the coastal rowing, but um, did you ever try your hand at that, or was it always the the calm seas that nearly uh, floated your boat, so to speak? Yeah, yeah. Well, we're banned. We're banned from all coastal rowing by by Dominic Casey, our coach. So there was never an option once I once I started. Right, Jesus. The, what? What? Um, any reasoning behind that? Is it only for the uh, the not for the faint heart that the coastal rowing is so? Oh, that must be it. I'd say that must be it. Jesus. I, I, a, the, well, we hosted the the All Ireland Championships down in Cork, make sure you there now before the coastal ones. But um, I tell you, this, you need fair strength for um, operating there in those choppy seas. I know, obviously, you need a lot of strength for what you do too. But um, would they, would you ever have noticed a difference in rowing? Did you ever give it a go from a young age, or did Dominic stop it? They you know, from day dot. No, yeah, I've literally never never sat in a coastal boat. Um, I think. It's it's get it is getting a lot more popular now because it's actually, um, funnily enough, it's being uh, introduced into the Olympics. So, um, our event, the lightweight double, is actually being axed, and they're bringing in right. some coastal events. Right. Instead, yeah. So who knows? Maybe a career change <laughs> might come in the future, but 
for now anyway we're we're told to steer well here but yeah yeah i can see the point of it and just touching on the guys in skib and dominic um how much of a help were they you know at the start of your career having such a good base back down there in that rowing club oh massive help yeah um even you know not even that we'd be you know when you we wouldn't really be like asking them or anything but just to watch them train and and see see how they were improving and in fairness they would also tell us you know if we were if we were doing something wrong or if we could be doing something better mm-hmm. they they wouldn't they wouldn't be afraid to say oh you should be doing this or you should be doing that and we'd 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 laugh that up like and i think it definitely brought us on a lot quicker too so yeah they're they're a big part of it as well Oh, fantastic and obviously then it helped as well having uh your brother jake involved in the boat with you eventually yeah he kind of he kind of caught on after i'm gonna say a year or so i think it mm-hmm. took him a while but i think he wanted he wanted to come down because he saw how i was getting a bit fitter and a bit stronger mm-hmm. so i think he was kind of at first doing it to to go kind of alongside the the other sports and try and get a bit fitter for those but then I guess yeah he ended up catching the bug a bit as well he got the bug indeed and um, probably came to the point then when you guys won a national title together and how was the feeling then you know having your brother and your boat with you and, and achieving success yeah that was good that was um, it was funny that year was I think that was 2016 but it was actually the one of the only um one of the only boats that year that didn't have, um, I think Shane and Mark were winning everything that year, mm-hmm. and I know we we it was the intermediate double we won, but it was nice that it was, you know, from our from our hard work <laughs> here that we that we were able to get it, and it was it was Jake's first, I think it was Jake's first championship as well, and I got my first the day before, so it was it was pretty new to us then as well, and I think. At that point, it was kind of getting to the point where we were like, "Jesus, are we ever going to win anything in this? Like, <laughs> will we, will we pack it in?" But yeah, so it was nice to like finally get that that confirmation that we're we were doing something right anyway. Yeah, success helps in that factor, and I suppose you double that with the fact that you mentioned is about 2016, and you're watching the two boys win silver over in Rio. So that surely kind of almost ignited the fire within you to succeed even more. Definitely, yeah, oh, 100%. I think um, it, sure, it was the same for everyone in the country, really. And it, and for us, too, seeing that it was from, you know, it was from the same, pretty much the same training that that Dominic would be prescribing us and from from using the same equipment and, mm-hmm. and all that. So, yeah, it was a real eye-opener, no, to be fair. It was brilliant for you. And... Um... I suppose then, obviously, your career progressed, uh, Finton, and we come to a point then when you're asked to be in a boat with Paula Donovan, and was that a bit daunting at first, given that all he'd achieved in the sport already? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think uh, at first, um, see, that year was kind of, so before that, me and Jake had been doing a lot of like um, junior and under 23 Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of age group stuff. So we've been to the we've been to the under twenty three World Championships together a few times. But that year, two thousand nineteen, was actually our first year um, 
kind of out of all the age group stuff. So we didn't really know where we were we were kind of going with it. So we said we just trained because it was both our our last year in college and see what happens. And then it, it kind of took that turn where where we were doing trials and we were we were going pretty well. And and eventually, yeah, I got into the the boat with Paul. And yeah, it was very daunting at first. I remember in our first regatta, I was so nervous, but um, no, he was great that year. You know, there was never like, it was never him giving out to me or anything or, mm-hmm. or being like, oh, Jesus, I have to roll Stinton for, for us sake. <laughs> um, it, you know, I learned so much in, in those few months mm-hmm. and I think, yeah, we've just gotten better and better every year since really. That you have, and was there ever kind of um? I know, I know, there's a kind of a team of you there, and you know, it's a good kind of like team atmosphere down in Skid. But was there ever that kind of like awkwardness saying that you know the O'Donovan brothers they were almost a brand, so to say, and you're kind of coming in here and kind of uh, upsetting it a small bit? But was there ever that kind of frostiness between anyone in there, or is it just that kind of team environment? Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think so. Like, obviously. Whoever whoever doesn't make the boat is going to be disappointed, whether it's because you know your brother's in the boat or, or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, we all we all want the lightweight double from Ireland to be the fastest boat possible. And you'd never you'd never want to be in it if you knew you were you know you weren't the most deserving of that seat. So I think uh, we all kind of understand that. So there's there's not really any 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 issue there really yeah it's fantastic that way and um going forward then finton 2019 the worlds in australia where you got gold um probably your biggest achievement uh to know to date at that point in your career what was that like oh 100 yeah like um that was that that's the one i remember most really because you know it's your first and it, it was my first world championship medal as well so yeah that was just uh, it was all you know it was all new so it was, it was brilliant and your first time getting up on the podium and singing the national anthem and we we qualified for the olympics through that regatta as well so it was yeah it was just class stuff the stuff of dreams really definitely could, could only imagine and as you kind of just briefly touch on it then obviously the eyes would be looking forward to tokyo but um course as we all know the uh <laughs> the damn COVID-19 hit and um <laughs> yeah the c word is right and um how did that hamper training or was there any kind of um you know a little bit of switches you had to do in terms of um you know your weekly routine was there anything different that COVID brought about that some way say you might help the or made, made you come together stronger yeah I think um like we all we all treated it it a bit differently I think for me it was very much because obviously after the boat qualified it's only the boat so mm-hmm. there's the two seats are still open so um, we actually hadn't got to the point of the 2020 season where we had decided who was going to be in the boat for Tokyo so for me I kind of looked at it as an extra year to get fitter and faster you know I was a bit younger than, than the lads so, so I kind of took that opportunity to train at home um, and just try and get use that year to make me a bit faster. Um, we we had a European Championships that 
October, I think, it got postponed and we were able to to do that in October and I went there in the single mm-hmm. and got a bronze medal. So um yeah, that I think I just used it to to work on I guess the single and and getting myself a bit fitter so that I was putting myself in a good position for for twenty twenty one. Um but yeah, it it did change the way we trained a lot. You know, we were all back in skib whereas usually we're in we're in the rowing centre in Cork and mm-hmm. obviously we were all pretty much in our living rooms on the on the rowing machine. So it wasn't like uh, we were we were getting out in the boat very often. I think for a good few months until June or July we weren't allowed back on the water. So um, I I don't know I, I quite liked it though. I think it was a nice change because it had been pretty intense up until then with um, with you know wondering like who's going to make the boat and if you're going to make it. So so um, it kind of gave us a bit of a break from that, and then. We were ready to go again for for the next year, so I I think we probably would have been all right had it not happened, but I I didn't really mind in the end. Yeah, no, but um, just touching on how someone actually does get um chosen for the seat, um, Finton, how how was that decision made? Is it kind of just almost like a passing comment one night at training, or do they <laughs> call you to sit you down, or what? What's the way about it? Oh, I wish it was that that simple, man. <laughs> no, it's um. So we basically do uh, a trial in sort of quite early in the Olympic season. It's sort of around March or April time where mm-hmm. we'll all we'll all race each other in in singles once, mm-hmm. and then we will just to kind of get a ranking. Um, but that that doesn't really feed into it too much. Like then from from there you're put into into two doubles. So Say if you if you take um, if you take me, Paul, Gary, and Jake, um, so you'd you'd row with each each of those against against another double. So say it, for the first race could be me and Gary versus Jake and Paul, and mm-hmm. then you switch and then you switch until all the combinations had have been run. Mm-hmm. And then from that you kind of see which which double combinations is moving the best and who's kind of moving the the both the fastest there and then from that the coaches will will decide Jesus a f- fairly intense uh, process now when you think of it and uh, I suppose there's, that's nearly as, as big a competition as nearly in Europeans or Worlds especially knowing that the boat is in the Olympics and he had won the yeah. Worlds you know it's, those competitions must have been fairly intense were they? And especially I think especially in Ireland as well, because you know that all of us are are like the top of the like whoever gets in the vote has a pretty good chance of, of winning. Mm, exactly. So you you'd nearly say say those those kind of races are more important than the Europeans or the World Cup mm-hmm. because um sure it doesn't matter if you're going faster than the World Cup if you're not in the boat. Yeah. Oh so, yeah, they they'd be yeah, they're they're pretty pretty intense pretty stressful times but has to be done I suppose it has to be done and look you got in there you got the seat and before any race was ran what was the Olympic experience like over there could you go see other um, Irish people's events or was it kind of locked down you know don't don't move out of uh, base camp yeah well we couldn't we could move around the village easy enough with you know with masks on and mm-hmm. and all that jazz but 
uh, we we couldn't go to any other events, and there were no spectators at any events either. So we were kind of stuck in the village, which wasn't too bad. You know, it was nice to to walk around and see. It was big enough so you could see all like the the different apartment blocks in different countries and try and spot a few famous people. So it was yeah, it was grand, and and we weren't actually allowed to leave the village, but you got a pretty good view of. Of Tokyo on the bus journey down to the course, so it wasn't it wasn't all bad. Yeah. Obviously, it would have been nice to get out and about and and see see a few more things, but it was yeah. I think you know because the rowing venues are often so far away that you don't get to stay in the village. It was good that we we could um we could get that bit of the experience anyway. Mm-hmm. No, that was you know you take what you can get in those kind of situations. Yeah, exactly. Like. I don't know if pardon the pun, but everyone's in the same boat. But um Yeah. Um the race of themselves then Finton, um you blitzed the semis, so you must have been confident enough going into the final, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah. Um pretty confident, I think. Uh we we always knew that the the Germans were were gonna be good. The Italians as well, we knew, but the I think the first few heats, the Germans had some really good races, so we knew they were like on on really good form. Um, we I think we got a bit of a faster time. We set the world record in the semi, but they were only a few seconds behind us in the other semi final, and they were cruising. So we knew they'd kind of be the ones to to beat. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Sorry, I forgot what the question was. Uh, you know, your grand. It was. I was just saying, were you confident? But um, no, you pretty you pretty much said it all there. But how was the um, you know, knowing that the Germans are right behind you? How was the sleep, and uh, and the nerves on the day, the day before, and the day of the final? Um, to be honest, it was it was kind of grand because at that point, there's nothing like there's no more training you can do, or there's no more, um. There's no more anything you can do really. Like we, we knew we'd prepared as best we could. Like we probably couldn't have done anything better. So even if, even if we didn't win, we, like there was no way we were we were going to win. If that's the case, because I don't think for me anyway, I could have taken a single like another stroke in training. We we trained so hard leading into, into Tokyo. So, so it actually wasn't too bad because I kind of expected that. Um, and you you get into a bit of a routine with it as well. Mm. Like you don't really think about it till till you wake up, and then it's like, oh, today's the day. Yeah. But before, kind of just you kind of get your bag ready for for the next day, and then forget about it a bit, or try to forget about it. Um. So yeah, it was. It, I wasn't too nervous. Yeah, no, it was good. It was good. The fact you weren't you almost able to roll freer then, and I suppose the. The feeling then crossing the finish line and um, the medals and Arana V and all that came with that was that something that you were able to take in or was it nearly all a blur? Yeah, it it, it you do kind of get the feeling that it happens so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, like I don't remember much of it to be honest, but the bits I do remember were were pretty pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess. It's one of those things you you kind of imagine, like that's the thing you imagine it happening so many times that you you kind of already know what it's going to be like. Right now, it was a small bit better than you imagine, obviously, because it's it's happening. <laughs> but 
but uh, yeah, when it when you're in it, I guess it's a bit like it, it, once it's done, you're kind of like, did that really just happen? But yeah, but yeah no, it, it was class. Yeah, I'd imagine so. And um, did you kind of take a step back for the interviews? Let Paul do his uh, work, his magic, do his piece. <laughs> Of course, that's that's usually what I do anyway. <laughs> it's a it's a good a good tactic. Yeah, I was I was pulled into I was pulled into anti doping straight after mm-hmm. and got a got a face turn with the fam and stuff. So that I think we did a few interviews after that then, but um, yeah, I'm sure I can't remember much of it really. No, no, I'd imagine it was all a blur. But look, it was it was fantastic for you. And were you able to celebrate when you came home? And um, what was kind of what that that stage of COVID was there? Was there much um, allowed back at home in terms of celebrations? I know that the open top bus was uh, the be all and end all in 2016. Yeah. But did you have anything that close to it? The pinnacle, yeah. <laughs> uh, not th- not that close. I think you know the restrictions were still pretty mm-hmm. heavy at that point. Um, but yeah, no, I think it made it even a bit a bit nicer that way. It was very low key, you know, like driving home. Um, me and it, I was in a car with Emily Hagey, and mm-hmm. we drove through Skib, and everyone came out. I, I, you know, I think it it could have been the bank holiday that weekend. So it was the Sunday. Was it the Sunday? I can't remember. We were home, and, and for some reason, everyone was in the pub anyway, and they all <laughs> they all came out as we were driving through mm-hmm. uh so that was really cool and then on the back road home from skib to my place there were just people and fires and flags and and not you nearly it took us hours to get home so you just stop for everyone and say hi and say thanks mm-hmm. but um yeah no i really like that kind of aspect of it as well because it was a bit more like i guess the people who kind of see you driving down to the the rowing club every day mm-hmm. and see you putting in the hours like they're they're nearly the people you want to see mm-hmm. in in times like that and i think if it's if it's a bit bigger it can get a bit distracted and mm-hmm. um stuff like that so yeah it was really nice to like be able to to see all those people and and say thanks and show off show off the medal and, and stuff well, fantastic and where's the medal now do you have it hanging up uh, or the mantelpiece no no it's at home I think it's all my room at the moment. It comes out, out some drawer, <laughs> yeah, for um, for events and stuff. But now I just keep them all together. Yeah, oh, the fantastic! And you grant all of them, and you um, won a couple more then this year, the European and the Worlds. And like, what keeps you motivated in terms of you know yourself and Paul and even the other guys, um, just Witchy and the team? How do you keep going? You know, because you've won it all pretty much at this stage now. Um, where does the motivation come from? Um, yeah, I think it it, cha- it definitely has changed a bit over over the last years. Like uh, in twenty nineteen, I remember just all the time getting into the boat, being like, just finish the session and you'll get a gold medal. Like that's mm-hmm. all that mattered. It was the gold medal, the gold medal. But now, I think it's nearly better because, like, I I have like not sound cock or anything but I have the mo- I have all yeah, the you ones. have them all yeah no, no, I'll say it for you if you don't want <laughs> yeah. but so like it's it's not really about that anymore mm-hmm. it's it's like I kind of, I kind of realised that I actually like the lifestyle like I like the training and mm-hmm. it, it's fun to 
actually like it is fun to sort of like plan it all out and it feels like you're kind of it sounds weird but it feels like you're kind of going on a mission or something <laughs> trying to trying to like take on the world or or something crazy like that mm. but i i do i do really enjoy like the, the lifestyle and the training and um yeah sure it keeps us away from from real life for a bit so it can't be that bad <laughs> no it's not great well any any time you're going off to seville at the end of november uh start of december you can't argue with that exactly exactly no i uh, tell you what no uh fintan that was absolutely fantastic and just to finish off um what's the plans for the future now paris 24 uh, in terms of you just uh, mentioned there earlier about the lightweight skulls um not being uh, part of the olympics are they in the upcoming olympics in paris or is it after that they're getting disabandoned yeah yeah so they'll be they'll be there in paris so mm-hmm. that's the goal um at the moment just looking towards that we'll have to qualify this summer in or this September 2023 mm-hmm. um, we'll have to qualify there if we want to go and then after that yeah it'll be all it'll be all looking forward towards Paris so that's the that's the next the big thing really that's it and then obviously a, a career change after that then either going to the big boat or trying something else <laughs> or a bit of coastal maybe who knows <laughs> yeah who knows We'll see what happens. We, we, we will indeed. Fintan, that was an absolute pleasure. Thanks very much for joining us today on the show. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for having me. So on TV this weekend, of course, we have the World Cup knockout stages beginning. And then on Saturday, we also have the Munster Club hurling final between Bally Gunner and Bally A. There's also rugby between Leinster and Ulster and URC. And then on Sunday, the Leinster Hurling and Football Finals in Croker, as well as Racing and Fairy House and NFL on into the evening. So that's it for me this weekend. You're listening to Over the Bar on West Cork FM.